It is with anticipation and excitement on my part that I ask you to turn to the 11th Psalm. Psalm 11. The Lord gave me this psalm several weeks ago, brought to my attention so that uh, I had no desire to look at any other psalm to consider them. And he actually gave me the time to finish my outline on Friday. I thought I was doing very well, and over the last day and a half since then, the Lord has decided to give me extra things he wanted me to say from this, so I may not even use my outline at all. But this is a glorious psalm, and let's first read it and try and understand it, and then I'll go through it with you. Uh, I'll read it for you. Psalm 11. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul? Flee as a bird to your mountain. For, lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Amen. Amen. This is a glorious psalm, brethren, and I hope that by the Lord's mercy I can give you a little bit of what he's given me from it so that you can glory in it. It's exciting. It's exciting to me to look at what the meaning of this psalm is to the righteous. Now, if you want to break it down into an easy outline, verse 1 is a question, a question that is raised by the man after God's own heart, David. The only thing that we really can definitely say about this from tradition is that David wrote this psalm. Verses 2 through 3 are the reply of a faithless heart, either whether it be wicked or someone who has had their faith broken, who believes in God. And then the rest of the chapter is godly reasoning for the initial response. Now, some have said, and I did some research looking into this, some have said that this psalm would have been written in the period of life while David was in the court of Saul, while Saul was slowly perverting his justice in the kingdom. And some of the words in this could very well have been words from the enemies of David trying to scare him into an act of cowardice. We can't really prove that. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to think of the fact that some of the verses in this do apply specifically to how governmental reign takes place. But let's, let's begin. Chapter, um, chapter 11, verse 1. In the Lord put I my trust. We have a starting point right there. David's declaration to begin with. My trust is in God. So why do you even ask me to flee as a bird to my mountain? Why should I run? Why should I be frightened? Right. Because the Lord is my trust. Yes. It's a valid question. Now, let me point out though, that the statement is made, why say ye to my soul? So don't begin thinking, well, you know, these arguments don't matter in the first place. They're meaningless because, well, I trust in God, so I shouldn't ever even think the thoughts of verse 2 or 3. These arguments made their way into David's soul. He actually thought about them. He considered the questions that come, or the statements that come further in verses 2 and 3. 
They did trouble him. But he starts with trust in God. For, lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. The character of the wicked has not changed in all these thousands of years. The wicked do look to privily, secretly, prepare trouble for the righteous. If you live a righteous life, you can expect that the wicked will hate you. They will prepare themselves to do you harm. They may take secret counsels together against you. They may plot little ways in which they can get at you to try and bring you down. And they think that they do it privily, secretly. They think that they may not be seen as they make these plots. And it can cause great trouble and great distress in our lives when the wicked do work against us because they can and sometimes do. And then the question comes, and this this is a question of desperation. If the foundations be destroyed, what are the righteous to do? What can the righteous do? Now, this, this phrase, talking about the foundations, is frequently used in other places looking at things like government. It, you know, David talks about elsewhere holding up the pillars of the world. It's, these terminology is used by government, which is why people like to talk about this being the reign of Saul. But think about it for a second. If, if the foundations of life, whether it be political power or, more simply, family power, if all those things are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Where, where can we have our trust? Where can we have our hope if those things, the foundations of our lives, are messed up? But, and, and we've talked about so many times the, the marvelous disjunctive of the word but in the Bible. This passage doesn't even need that because the shift is so extreme. The point that is made is so powerful that we don't even need that disjunctive in this passage. What can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. All the foundations of this earth can be destroyed. They can be torn down. The foundation of heaven and God's throne is not moved. It is not touched. It does not tremble, not one bit. So let the foundations be destroyed. Let the government run itself into the ground. Let the families be destroyed. It doesn't matter. If you're righteous, his foundation Stand sure to support you. There is no fear that you need have. You know, I, I can't help but think, and I'm, I have to jump forward in, in the Bible to look at this a little bit, but if you think about it for a second, one day the foundations of everything will be destroyed, including the foundations of this earth. They will melt with fervent heat. But what's the answer for that day? Second Timothy 2.19 tells you, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Amen. Yes. So, again, these foundations, they can be. But God's foundations cannot be destroyed. They cannot be touched. Right. Glory in that. How could we be told by anyone to flee, to be afraid, when God's foundations stand sure? Looking further in verse 4. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Well, we know that God beholds. We know that God's eyes are always looking throughout the earth. But what is the phrase, his eyelids try the children of men? This is a beautiful little image from God's word for us to think about it. Because again, the wicked think, I'm in secrecy. I'm in privacy. No one sees my plot. No one sees how I'm going to slay the righteous. And the picture God gives us here is his eyelids. No, what does that mean? When you're looking at something really closely, when you're examining it, 
don't you sometimes squint your eyes a little bit to look more closely at it? God's telling us, the wicked think they're in secrecy. I'm looking closely at them. They can't penetrate my wisdom. I see exactly what they're doing. I've examined them, and I know their plots. Then verse 5, and I hope I hope we know this verse. This verse is valuable in so many things doctrinally, but let's forget about the doctrine for a moment. Let's forget about the fact that God hates the wicked and how powerful that is in understanding salvation. Let's apply it to ourselves, though. The Lord trieth the righteous. You may face difficulty. You may face trouble. You may face sorrows. There may be times in which for a little while the wicked do seem to prevail. They do seem to be able to destroy those foundations. But what is the response of God for us? Because, again, this is for our knowledge, not just for knowledge of doctrine of God hates the wicked. What is God's response to the wicked when they seek after destroying his people? But the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. So you may face trial, persecution, trouble, that's the act of a loving God. Yes. But right. the Lord hates the wicked. Yes. He hates them. And you may say, well, and then I guess, of course, people would make this argumentation all the time as, well, it doesn't really mean hate. Well, that's what verse 6 is for. You want to know what God's hatred brings. And if you want to tell me this is he loves them less, then tell me from verse 6 what that means. Upon the wicked, he shall rain. He throws it down upon them. He buries them in it. And he starts with snares. How appropriate. The wicked think to secretly act against the righteous. God's response is, I'll secretly act against you. I'll hand you snares instead so that you fall into it. Your own devices take you. That's the God we worship. He rains down fire and brimstone and an horrible tempest. Tell me that's loving a little bit less. No, that is hatred. But God does it for our behalf. Again, don't don't make this impersonal doctrine. Make this real to yourself. This is the answer. This is the character of the man after God's own heart, David. This is how he reassures himself in trouble, is that God sends hatred, fire, brimstone, tempests, and snares on the wicked. That's how he supports himself in trouble. This shall be the portion of their cup. Now, what's a portion biblically? It's what you have as your expectation, your reward, the thing that supports you as you go through each day. So in Ecclesiastes, it talks about your wife for a man being your portion in this earth, your joy, the thing that supports you. In Psalm 16, David talks about the Lord being his portion, there to help him, to hold him up, so that for his labor, he has a reward, and it's the Lord. What is the reward of the wicked? What is their portion? Fire, brimstone, snares, and a horrible tempest. This is, this is not when we see the world falling apart around us, when we see chaos, confusion, we see dysfunction and trouble, and we start to think in our own hearts, as maybe David even did from the way that this went to his soul, and we start to think that this is the course of the world, that the world is a horrible place, and that justice will never be done. We know that the true portion for the wicked, what that is, it's God's hatred. And brethren, if you want confidence, here's the point 
And I'm going to, I have to finish it in a minute with verse 7, but here's the point of this, is I want you to think. Where do you draw your trust in time of trouble? It should be from the character of God. Right. His character is unmoved, is unchanged, and it's demonstrated right here. This is David's God. This is how David endured trouble in his life, is viewing God in this light. This is his God. This is my God. Yes. Is it your God? Yes. Is he your God, this God that, you're, that we're reading about right now, that is capable of these things? Right. Because, again, I've got to go back to that, that other person who's going to say, but God doesn't hate people. But God can't hate people. He's, he's good and he's kind and he's loving. I can't follow that God. In fact, some of us have heard those words. I can't follow a God like that because that just doesn't seem right to me. Verse 7, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. This conduct that we are seeing attributed to God is righteous. Amen. And it is the character of a righteous God. He acts this way because he is righteous. Because of his righteousness, he cannot love sinners. He cannot love the wicked. He cannot support them. And so, in support of the righteous who are threatened, he brings his judgment upon the wicked. His countenance doth behold the upright. He looks favorably upon his people. He loves righteousness. He loves righteous people. And again, it's not in ourselves. It's through him. But God is righteous in his actions here. Brethren, I have to end it asking the same question again. Because we will face times like this. We can look at the world right now and we can see the way that it is sliding quite nicely towards the direction of hell and that the Lord should come soon. We can see these things things taking place and it can at times hurt our faith. We can go to work and we can interact with the worldlings around us and we can see how the wicked seem to be prevailing at times and the way that they wish to take down and harm the righteous. We can see it. But will we be moved or will we draw our faith and our trust and our confidence from God? Again, this is the God of David, the man after God's own heart. This is the God that he trusted in and sustained him. Lord, bless me to say it, that this is my God. Amen. This is the one that I look to when I see those things. When I feel the sorrows of looking at the troubles of this world, this is my God, and in his character I will place my trust. Will you? Will this be your God? Right. Will he sustain you in those times? Make him your God. Amen. Amen.